This is Jason Albert, and you're listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. The World Championships in Seefeld, Austria closed last Sunday after the men's 50K mass start skate. And as much as those championships were an opportunity to celebrate the sport, sad doping news rattled the cross-country community. In other words, it was a heavy week. In this episode, we speak with Estonian athlete Karl Tamarev. Tamarev was one of five athletes arrested in Seefeld last week for blood doping. Taking a big step back, there's lots to digest here. The interview was conducted this morning, March 5th, on short notice, and there were no preconditions for the interview. If you need some background before listening, we will link to some articles on the website. Okay, here is the interview, and thanks for listening. Uh, how are you? I guess, how are you doing, and where are you? I am at home in Otepe right now, and... Uh... Uh, it's, it's funny how, how, how well I am right now or how almost happy or like, it's not like the whole world comes crushing down at the moment because, um, the relief of, of this chapter ending and, uh, knowing that it can only get better from here on is really good where have you um so it's does your family live there or are you i mean you're an old you're in your late 20s or mid 20s so are you on your own uh, yeah it's late 20s i'll be 30 in um uh, two and a half months okay. yeah i live alone i'm a loner okay and uh so yeah my my parents live uh, 40 kilometers away from here or 25 miles and uh so that's one of the reasons actually when we get to that later on why it was so seemingly easy to do all these things that I did was that I did not have anybody to explain or lie to uh why I need to go somewhere when I did those things right but yeah I'm at home right now and I'm just um uh, doing the everyday business that you have to do when you're kind of fixing all these things. So I'm calling my sponsors, uh, all my friends, my teammates. I've been scrolling through my contacts list just to kind of pick the persons that I want to call first and then do a second round with people that are a bit further away from me and uh, kind of not ask for their forgiveness but uh just tell them that i'm sorry and and so far uh, people have been very understanding i've been getting a lot of uh, messages from total strangers and friends and uh, so they've they've helped a lot where are you getting most of your support right now to, you know, if you have moments of darkness or what have you, where are you finding that emotional support? Uh, well, as, as I said, right now, people have been lending their hand themselves. Like a lot of uh, good messages coming in, 
but um, when you're at the your uh, when you find yourself in the deepest shit, then the closest uh, relatives are there to help. Like I was just drinking tea with my grandma today and uh, hanging out with my my parents and uh, going to sauna at my friend's place here. So just um, trying to be and and live a normal life for those periods periods every day, and then come back and do, write some emails, do some stuff that I had got to do right now. I have uh, I'm coming out this with all you know the information that I have is pretty much based off of you know news reports. Um, you know, I've been going to the what it's uh, E R R, I believe it, or E E R. It's the Estonian Eng- English, National. yeah, and it's in English. So I've been tapping into that. Um, so again, not a ton of information, but it sounds like you made the choice to start doping back in 2016. That is correct. Yeah. Is that a good place for us to start here? Yeah. Why not go? Go on. back in time. Timeline, yeah. Okay. So how did that come about? I mean, what was going through your mind and what was the career like then that you felt like this was um, the pathway? Uh, yeah. Uh, I was thinking about this before we started that whatever I'm saying right now, we don't have enough time to get to the bottom of this because – the influences there are so many like motivation from within within me and then the pressure from media and uh well results wise i had quite good results when i was a junior u23 the same championships where noah got a silver i was fifth i think at the same race so i was racing together with the likes of Carla Halfarsson, who's my age, and uh, all those some Russian guys, some some really good athletes were way up there right now. And uh, when I became a senior, I still had that upward trend with the results, and um, then it kind of plateaued, and I kept producing results that the, well, I myself weren't really happy with and the, the overall public was not overly happy about. So it kind of started dragging like that. And, and uh, I guess that's how it became an option. What type of pressure are you getting from the system, the ski federation, to to take any means necessary to be successful on the World Cup? Um, no, I wouldn't say there's any pressure from the federation. The um, like, yeah. It's not. It's not like a Soviet system, not in any sense. And 
well, when the results weren't as good for the whole team, then I guess the funding was a, little, a bit smaller because the, the private sponsors weren't that much interested in us anymore. So the Federation couldn't ask much as well from us. Who introduced you to Dr. Schmidt? It was my former coach, uh, Mike Tialaver. And do you know how he became associated or knowledgeable about Schmidt's capacities as a doctor who might help facilitate blood doping? Uh, no, I didn't. He didn't tell me. And yeah, I guess it was not important at the time. Do you recall what that conversation was like with your coach at that time about finding a resource to help do this? I really can't actually. I can't remember not even vaguely what the, what the conversation was like. I can remember more exactly like the first uh, time I went to give my blood away because that's kind of something that sticks. Uh, it's hard to remember how the conversation started or was it several times we talked about it it's yeah it's too long time ago did it come did the motivation come from you or was it a collective decision between like you and coaches like hey we need to kind of jump start this the the results and this is a a path does that make sense i'm asking really is it do you was this something that came individually from you or was it in collaborative collaborative type decision that's also something that, that i can't really remember if i guess it was it couldn't have been that i just one day turned up to him and said i want to dope it must have been he get, getting somewhere closer to it I'm, I'm getting closer to it and and then meeting halfway it's like negotiations but it's hard to say who was the initiator how knowledgeable was andre uh, andres verpalu and how involved was he in this decision making process or how much knowledge did he have of what was going on starting back in 2016 um that's also something that I did. I never talked about with Mike D. Um, the the possible um, link between, or the possibility that that Andrews was somewhere somehow involved or knew about it came much later. Were you doing this with? And I I know he and his son have very similar names. There's Andreas, correct, and Andres. Um, yeah. Were you aware yeah. that, or when did you become aware that Andreas was also involved with Dr. Schmidt? It was last season. So the season, yeah. And what was that kind of, I mean, how did you become aware that one of your teammates was also involved? Um, through discussion or just through casual conversation? Uh, I think uh, as uh, I knew how the thing was done and 
when you needed to go somewhere and when you needed to do those transfusions, then I saw the this the pattern, and uh, I guess then I just one day I, I think we were at the same races, and I just told him, "Hey, you don't have to hide it, or yeah, we can let the." The guy come into our room. There's no need to go somewhere. Yeah. What is the methodology? And like, how long before a competition would you have to go and have blood drawn? And what would that rest period be before you would put it back into the system? Oh yeah, it's uh, kind of funny how <laughs> I am. I know how to do it now, and I, I'm having second guesses whether I should be telling everybody how it's done. Like, <laughs> I don't want to teach anybody. Um, but I guess it's all over the news right now. I can, I, I was just reading yesterday some, um, some professors interview about how it's done and like all of, to the smallest detail. So there's a lot of, material on the on the internet right now uh but basically how dr schmidt's uh routine was that you you collected blood bags into the like a, a fridge that he has somewhere i don't know where and I, as i can understand he had a lot of clients a lot of bags so you start drawing blood um, for winter athletes. It should happen spring, beginning of summer, um, a bag at a time. For me, it was uh, six bags per season. And you should draw blood like every two or three weeks. So it gives your body time to regenerate and get back to the normal levels. And also, when you draw too much blood at a time and you get tested right after that, the blood passport is not not correct. So, yeah, the blood is taken out with a machine and the red blood cells are stored. And then when the season begins, you start getting the blood back um, normally for a race. You, you get the blood put in two or three hours before the race in the morning. And then as soon as possible, uh, taken out after the race. So we're talking, I mean, it sounds like you had six bags extracted, which means that Again, I don't know if one bag correlates to one infusion. Um, so how many infusions might one get over the course of a season from, say, six draws of blood? Uh, well, as I said, you put it in and you take it out. So if you use it like that, you don't lose anything. But then uh, uh, to boost regeneration... And just give you um, higher performance for your uh, 
harder training sessions, training periods, then you put the bag in and you leave it there and it just um, eats itself up with, uh, with the hard workouts. So that's, that's how you lose all the bags by the end of the season. Gotcha. So you're not just using this before competitions. It's also part of you know, a period, a periodization of doping, if you will. So if you're going to have a hard training week or two weeks that you're infusing prior to that as well. Uh, yes, that might be the case. Yeah. For world cups prior to Seyfeld, I mean, is, was it a pretty standard process to infuse, you know, before, you know, a couple hours before a race and then just execute the race? Yes. I mean, for every World Cup starting, say, around 2016, or was it selected? Uh, yeah, in, in 2017, which was the first season, the Lofty World Championships, then, then I only used it for the World Championships. And then the next two seasons have been more regular. Do you, in fact, feel a boost out on the – like – on a regular normal World Cup day, do you feel an advantage? Do you sense like my body is different than maybe it, it, it had been? Uh, yes, certainly. But then again, like when you're in a really bad shape or even a mediocre shape, then it it's not as efficient. So yeah, you have to be in good shape, then, then it boosts you even higher. Yeah. Thinking about like say World Cup, um, when you look at a result, you know, the day after the week after, and you're, you go to the fist site and you click on results from, you know, the Lillehammer weekend, um, and you see your name, do you, does it cross your mind? Do you think that, Hey, that was a race I may have been doping at, or is it just part of the routine and part of sort of the accept the accepted, um, methodology to compete at that level, at least for, for in your case? Uh, well, yeah. Of course, I remember every result that I produced uh, with the help of doping. And I, ever since I started doping, I did not feel, I was not proud of those results or I was not happy inside for any results that I, I, I any good results that I've made. And uh, to the extent that I actually didn't want to be really good, kind of, uh, it's, it's, it, I felt like when I was doing really good, then I felt much more embarrassed for what I was doing. Like the, the Davos 13th place, uh, the Olympic season, I was shocked and I, I was trying to act cool, but I was not happy. I was anxious and I was not feeling good. So, uh, like the, the, the level of tolerance was better when I was like around 30th because then I felt that I haven't 
<laughs> like I hadn't cheat, cheated that much. Like, and I'm assuming that Dr. Schmidt, you know, the protocol was so dialed that, and we know this from like all, you know, the Lance Armstrong situation, which is, which is a different situation, but that there's a real science behind this and that you can dial in so that you'll get the performance boost and the hematocrit level will go up, but you're not going to flag a positive test. Is that correct? That, that it was that dialed in that there, you would bump up to a certain level, but fear of popping a positive was probably pretty negligible. Is that fair to say? Yes, I think so. And, uh, Dr. Schmidt had enough of guinea pigs to test all his possible theories. So I'm sure he had, uh, a lot of good information from the field. Uh, so Do- I mean, do you roughly, I mean, do you suspect, I mean, as of right now, um, I think five skiers were caught up in this. There's been, uh, maybe uh, there was another Estonian skier this morning, I believe it was revealed, correct? Yes. A few Austrian cyclists have come out. I'm making the assumption that it's really just the tip of the iceberg. What is your understanding of like how many people may be involved on the Nordic side of, of things? Uh, I have no clue because even if Dr. Schmidt talked vaguely about cycling, because I guess, well, he knew that I knew that he had done something in cycling. So it was easy for him to tell me things that I already knew. And um, so he gave me examples of how things work in cycling but he never told me about any skiers any biathletes uh i did not know about the austrians before the 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 raid so so when you you would go would you remove the blood in estonia or would you travel to germany to to go through that process i traveled to germany and it was that I guess the office or wherever this was occurring was so tight that I guess, was it in a, was it in a doctor's office, like a medical facility? No, it was uh, in hotel rooms. Okay. So fairly easy to keep everybody, each individual athlete, I suppose, isolated and unaware of whomever else might be involved. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, and how would, so, Gosh, I, I'm trying to keep my questions kind of coherent when it comes to uh, a timeline. But thinking about Seyfeld specifically, um, obviously not far from Germany, how logistically do you travel with blood? And how, how do I mean, if you can kind of walk through that process of the but the blood is taken out in Germany in a hotel room. How then do you get the final usable product? Uh, well, that was all part of the package, and Mr. Schmidt and his accomplices would travel to all the locations that we had races, and yeah, Austria is fairly easy. 
And so in particular, this past few weeks, what are those logistics like? You know, is it, hey, you know, Carl, I mean, text, email, whatever, but, you know, the, the, the blood will be in this particular location for you, or are you having to pick it up at a location and then, you know, keep it with you in Seyfeld and then arrange a time by yourself to infuse that? I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of drilling down, so to speak, on all those little details. Yeah, no, uh, we set up a time and place. Usually um, the place would be where I was staying, the hotel room, and the person would come into my room, make the infusion, leave with all the, all the uh, trash, and likewise after the race come to my room, we draw the blood, and he or she is gone. So at, when you say after the race, draw the blood, what, is, what does that mean specifically to clarify that piece? You put it in before the race, and then you put it, take it out because you don't want to have uh, a higher count because that's visible. And, and uh, when you're getting... Uh, extra red blood cells then that um, that uh, turns off your natural production of those red blood cells so the 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 level of young blood cell, uh, red blood cells is getting lower and that's kind of red flag for the blood passport gotcha okay so now I'm understanding so it's a it's a little more involved process than simply infusing before a race what if you podium right i mean are you thinking about that during a race like okay i still need to have blood taken out post race um that's going to be tough to do if you're top five or whatever the threshold is on that day for whom they might test was that something that crossed your mind um yeah, uh, there's there's uh, there's methods to make the the blood numbers look smaller than they are. There's uh, like hi- hydrating or yes, and that's something like an athlete could do on their own, right? I mean, we're talking like you know, hypothetically, an athlete is doing this and they are go through the mix zone. I'm just trying to think of like what I've witnessed, you know, they go through the mix zone. They might go to doping control before the press conference. I guess what I'm hearing you say is that an athlete would be able to disguise the doping even prior to uh doping control after a race. Uh, yes. Is that a comp? I mean, I'm assuming that's also something that was part of the package. Like you're getting coached on how to um, beat that system. Yes, the I must say the system is quite easily beatable. As you as you can see from from this case, uh, Vada can't do pretty much anything unless they have the help from the police, who can actually. Uh, 
tear down the, the doors and get in there. So it's it's really sad to know all this and uh, and uh, and there there's stuff that I know now and I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that I don't know so uh, something has to change somehow because a lot of people would say well right the systems clearly all the data suggests that it is beatable. Um, and I think the evidence is that it's beatable. When you look at the cross spectrum of, you know, water releases like every year or every other year, a, a big report and all of the tests they've administered, blood, urine test, and all the specific type of tests and what they're looking for. It's very comprehensive. When you look and see like actually how many positives are flagged, it's very small, very small, unless it's like, I'm trying to think of what sports like weightlifting or something where it's, it's, you know, it's a 5% of tests are positive. But when you look at Nordic sport, it's like much less than 1%. And this is all off the top of my head. But so the system is easily beaten. How much? And yeah, go ahead. Just, just think that um, obviously me in a position that I am, uh, have no credibility or right to say anything about all the other athletes that are that haven't um, haven't been uh, ha- haven't had a positive test or haven't been arrested like in my case. So yeah, just to say that that I I, I understand that. Um, but a lot of it comes down to like, and again, this is a tough one because when I was talking to people about what types of questions to ask and how to approach our conversation, from one standpoint, it's like it comes down to the individual, right? The individual has to make that choice whether or not to dope or to, or to not dope or to dope, to dope. But as you and I mentioned at the start of the conversation, that there's a whole host of other pressures that one might feel. Maybe in the Russian system, it's like how you do it. There is no choice. I guess what I'm hearing from you is like, it's not like that necessarily in Estonia. It's a little more complicated, right? It's, it's not like systematic state-sponsored. Um, at least that's what I'm hearing you say, no right? Um does it come down to the individual athlete? You know, like how does this, when it's so easily beaten, how, yeah, I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts have been on that. Oh, yeah. Well, if, if I'm getting philosophical and to think about risk and reward in general in every field of life, then everybody wants to succeed and if he or she can see that the the risk is relatively small and like the punishment that would that would come if if getting caught is not that big then it would it, it becomes an obvious choice choice uh, 
in case of doping, of course, I don't know who has to do the the work to to um, to teach our our kids and future athletes to have a better moral moral comp moral compass. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, I have to say, like, I'm a parent of a. I have a. My older one in particular loves this. He loves this sport. And I asked him to look at the video of Hauke. I, I think I'm pronouncing his name properly. And I asked him to watch it. Yeah, I was like, take a look at this. This is how. This is sort of how it's done. And he was. He was a little bit. He was startled. Um, but from a teachable moment, I think it was pretty profound to have heard, you know, he's grown up in a generation where it's like Lance doped. I think it's profound when you talk about like what needs to happen, like that in itself, I think is a very teachable piece for kids to, to see that. I suppose the only good that comes out of something like that is like someone sees it and is like, that's something I may not want to do, but I'm just, I'm, I too, I'm just sort of being philosophical here. Um, yeah, it was dis disturbing even for me. And really, if I had, if, if I had looked at myself, uh, while I was doing this in the mirror, I probably would have felt really bad about it. How much, how much did this cost? You know, when this type of program or package, and when you, t you know, you, you call it a package, um, is there one level of package or is there like, you know, yeah, I guess let's start with how much did this all cost you per year? Uh, I don't think I want to talk numbers, but, um, the cost went up every year and, uh, I'm just speculating. I don't know if it was like that, but um, maybe uh, he was asking more from from athletes who were making more. So, so to speak, uh, like a sliding scale. Yeah, because. Uh, you kind of get stuck in the system and then because everybody wants this to stay quiet. Maybe the doctor could ask more from, from a guy who was making more because it's a win-win situ situation. Everybody's making more money. Did, did you feel like there was that type of pressure? Like, I, again, I'm thinking, uh, yeah, it's like an, or I mean, like an organized crime type, situation where you're involved with something, they're involved with something that's illegal and they, you know, like a blackmail situation where, you know, Hey Carl, you know, we're going to charge you 5,000 Euro more this cycle because we have this information on you. I mean, was there, were they ever that explicit like that? Or was it just very, just, each party was nervous because they have information about users and people who are providing. Uh, no, nothing like that. Like you described it. Um, it was more of, uh, I guess, well, he was using me for sure. 
because he was making money, making money off of me. So he was acting very polite and uh, uh, hospitable, like try to make me feel good. And he would send me emails like when I was worried about something, maybe whether we can do it in that room or whether he can make it to our appointment. He was like, hey, sleep well. I will fix this. All will be good. Was he always the contact person with this when you went to Germany? I mean, obviously he had handlers, but each time you went to Germany, there was direct contact with um, with him? Yeah, I made the appointment with him and then he would just tell me if one or the other accomplish would come or if he would come himself. Kind of thinking about, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the name Dr. Ferrari. He, the guy, the doctor in Italy who was involved with, um, you know, providing EPO and I'm sure just traditional blood doping to athletes. And again, this just comes from conversation with other folks in sport that he seemed to be a real student of like the science behind it all, not necessarily trying to make a ton of money, but was like, and I'm not justifying it, but was like truly interested in like the science of doping. Did you get the sense from Dr. Schmidt that that was the case here? What, like what, what is your perception of why he was involved with this? Ooh. Um, I don't know. Cause in the case of Ferrari, as much as I've seen some documentaries and movies, he was not just providing doping. He was a coach or like in charge of the whole pro, uh, training process. It was not the case with Dr. Schmidt. Like it was just, just the extra boost, not so much talking about training. And was this like a full-time job for him? I mean, handling, you know, the athletes and the the doping protocol? Uh, no. Uh, as I've read, he had a, uh, a doctor's a, a praxis in Erfurt. So he had a day job. I don't know how, how much time he had for that given all the uh, all the hordes of athletes but uh, I guess he was doing something else on the side as well okay I'm just going to look at my notes here how are you doing by the way uh, quite okay yeah okay all right I, I mean I have to be like when you mentioned at the beginning like you probably feel very relieved I can imagine like there was a tremendous, you know, as we say in the States, like a weight lifted off your shoulders um, as a result of all of this. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what actually went down in Seyfeld? And, you know, all, all we know, it's like I got a press release that came across, you know, I was working that morning and I think it was the morning of the 15K Classic. Yes. And, and I did notice, I have to be honest, I noticed 
you know, I went through my start list and I, I noticed I noticed your name only because I know you as a friend of Noah's and I've read about you often, you know, in his blog in the past, you know, four or five years. So I recognized your name and I know that I, I did. I was like, oh, there's another Estonian and Polteranen's not there. Huh. This is his race. That's interesting. And that was it. Right. I made a mental note, but it didn't cross my mind that there'd be some other business going on until a press release came out. So can you describe a little bit about what those 24 hours were like for you um, prior to, I guess, a police raid or being arrested? Uh, well, I was um, 24 hours, yeah. So the day before this, oh, well, no, 24 hours, there's nothing. Nothing much that day, like before the rest. We had we had been given the blood transfusion in the morning of the twenty seventh, and uh, which is the morning of the race, I think. I don't yes. have my count. Okay. Yes. And then I went for a morning jog, and when I came back, and I was just stretching outside, and then the a police officer in in uh, not in his uniform approached me, showed his badge, and told me that we should go inside and talk. And then they uh, they searched the apartment, and we were taken away. And so, and and you had mentioned this that you. You and Andreas had, on you know, figured out that one another was doping uh, probably a year or two ago, and so the two of you were sharing an apartment away from the team. Uh, and and what type of assistance? I mean, I, I don't know the Austrian legal system, but do they offer you counsel? I mean, is there an opportunity to like, you can call a lawyer or you can call someone and get assistance before questioning uh yes uh i had a lawyer there an austrian lawyer um and so he helped me a bit while the questioning took place and uh i told them everything i know and uh was released so i i i uh, stayed in a jail for the for the night after the after the rest, and then the questioning took place on the twenty eighth, and it took the whole day. Or well, we started at noon, so by the end of the day, we got out. Yeah, at ten p.m. And you decided to give a press conference, I believe, uh, on Friday, which would be got. I think that's. The 28th as well. Is that right? No, it was the first. Oh, it was the first. Okay. And the first was Friday for sure. I know that. And that was the day of the relay, the men's relay. Um, you know, they released you. Um, I'm assuming you went back to a hotel room or wherever you were staying. Yeah. What was the process like where you, you decided to give a tell, you know, come clean, so to speak, 
press conference, which at least the way things play out in the United States, it seems like a lot of the, you know, I'll think of like Tyler Hamilton, um, who you may be aware of a cyclist who's been implicated with lots of doping and came up with all these outlandish reasons as to why he, you know, had popped a positive test, but you know, you decided to speak to the media fairly quickly in the timeline. So you, what, why did you choose to do that? Uh, well, I talked to the team coach who was devastated and not at all happy about what had happened, uh, behind his back. And he told me that he would have a press conference. He told me that in the morning. So I had a couple hours before that. And he told me that he's not going to make me come, but he would really want me to come and sit beside him. And then I talked to my mother. And, um, yeah, she was the influencer. She told me that it's the only way and the right way to do. Do you have, do you have siblings? Yes. I have a sister and a brother. Um, where do you fall? Are you younger I'm, or older? I'm the oldest and my brother's, you are. Uh, my brother is 17 right now. Okay. Does he ski? He used to, but uh, not anymore. What was that conversation like with your mom? That first one? Uh, well, there was no crying. <laughs> and... Uh, because she had, she had had time for almost 48 hours since the news broke. And I can't remember what she said, but yeah, the, the conclusion was that, that it's for the best for everybody. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, yeah. That's good advice from your mom, obviously. Kind of thinking about an athlete in Estonia. You know, we can, you know, I know the American model. It's tough for skiers to make it. You know, a, a few like Keegan Randall and uh, Jesse Diggins can make a very, you know, a, a real decent living. They've obviously won that gold medal and that helps quite a bit. What What are the financial realities for a guy like yourself in Estonia? Uh, I was just chatting with a, a random stranger yesterday about how much is enough money and how much, how, how, how well living is enough. And, uh, yeah, I can say that it's, it's not like I'm thinking about finding money every day and I have enough to go on my spring trips to the United States every year. Uh, but yeah, I don't know how much is too much, but I guess I'm living okay. Um, I got a small apartment, but yeah, nothing extravagant. Like, because I think some people would think 
that like the motivation for some individuals to dope, it's the financial incentive. It's the, you know, the risk reward calculus or equation is like, well, I may get more endorsements or, um, and that translates to, you know, more financial security. Uh, was that part of your thinking, uh, in terms of making the choice to, to dope? I guess if it wasn't one of the primary reasons, then in the back of my mind, I guess so. Yes. But then quite soon I, I realized that my results with doping were not that good. So that's kind of, kind of one of the reasons why I started debating in my own head whether it's reasonable, like it's not, it's not right. It's not helpful in any way, not even financially. And you were just mentioning that, you know, you yourself were like, well, I'm not seeing the real huge benefit in your case from the doping. What, what kept you doing it? Oh, uh, well, I guess, like with drugs, it's hard to stop. It's hard to continue. And once you're in there, uh, it's it's like with making the decision to start doping, it's also a hard decision to stop doing it. Because even though the results are not getting better, you're still kind of floating there. And not thinking straight, I guess. But one thing I want to point out with with why the results are not getting better is that, as you said, you think way more about how to hide this from others and how to, um, yeah, how to hide it and how to make all these appointments and so you're uh, losing focus in training and not finding all the small reserves that might help really help you get better, like psychological work and new methods that come out, training methods. And then when you when you don't give your body a, a new uh, impulse in training then it stops getting better and then you're just just keeping yourself afloat with the doping you're not getting better naturally just yeah uh okay i do want to i i want to bring i want to bring up verpalu again andres so the older verpalu who's an olympic champion who he himself has been implicated in using human growth hormone, I want to say back in 2011, and it took until maybe 2013 till he was cleared of that. But he's like a national hero, I'm guessing, in Estonia. Is that sort of his status as an athlete? Uh, well, the final update is that not a hero anymore as of right now. And we're talking about the the father, the older yeah. of the two, correct? Yeah. It sounds like he, you know, 
you get a government stipend for having a certain level of performance at the Olympics from a, from the government. That was taken away. It was reinstated in 2013. I'm assuming what you're saying is those types of things have been rescinded or taken away at this point. Uh, or is it just not public yet? No, they made some decisions today, um, but I haven't followed that closely. Closely, but I'm guessing, yeah, now he will be ripped of all, all that. Do you do you sense that he was doping throughout his career? Um, it's it's really hard to say. Um, as I as I said, yeah. First of all, I don't have the facts and. And uh, as I said, when you're not training enough and you help yourself with doping, then that's not helpful. But I'm sure that training in general can help you get really good results. So I don't know what to believe. And I'm just taking all, all the facts. Ah, <sighs> All right. Um, what next for you? I mean, how, what, I guess, you know, you were able to leave Austria. Um, it's a criminal offense. You know, again, I haven't looked really into the law. I know, you know, in some capacity, it's a criminal offense, providing doping product or helping facilitate that and using, do you have to go back to Austria and face their legal system or how does that look moving forward? I wasn't given any instructions in Austria and uh, as much as the lawyer uh, has told me then he doesn't think that I would have to go back and uh, yeah right now it's kind of unknown what's 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 next so I'm just waiting for the Estonian police or somebody call me maybe, or yeah, I'm, I'm waiting. <laughs> so, Cause it's, I, I don't believe it's a criminal offense there. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, I mean, are you nervous about, I, I guess I'm curious, you know, what are the repercussions from in Estonia itself, you know, from a legal perspective or how, you know, what happens to you now? I don't know if people have been talking to you about that. Uh, yeah, I'm quite, um, what's the word? I'm not anxious. I'm just waiting for whatever will come and, uh, just taking a day at a time. Um, I guess it's, it's new for them also here cause there, I think there hasn't been an Estonian who has been arrested with, uh, with, or arrested for doping in Austria or some other countries. So... How recognized are you or were you prior to this in Estonia? Mm, I don't know. Uh, no, no polls were made. And, uh, 
But could you like, could you cruise around, you know, outside of Otapa or some ski community? Could you walk in anywhere in Estonia and not be recognized? Yes. And has that changed? Do you imagine? Um, I'm, I don't know. Like, I'm sure that a lot of people know my name by now, but maybe, maybe not the face. Um, it take more time to know, get to know the face. Yeah. Okay. And what, I mean, is there anything, a couple of things, a couple of big general questions. One is, you know, anything from like the details of all this that you would want people to know that you haven't really talked about? That'd be one question. And the other one is like, what, what would you want to say publicly to, you know, your, th those on the world cup or those that you've competed against? Yeah. Well, the, uh, an interesting detail would probably be that when I, when I was arrested, I got, um, uh, a few pages of, uh, of, uh, of text about how they, how the surve surveillance was going on from the moment that the, the German, uh, not the doctor himself, but I think in the beginning, uh, his accomplices arrived in Seffeld like at 9.33 p.m. on the 20th of, February and then in the evening he would walk there and do that and and then I was mentioned there as a as a as a male 63 would would come and greet her at the door so it was quite interesting to read how I was I was being followed the whole time and they knew exactly where I was what I was doing and um, it was a big operation a lot of manpower and really impressive do you know how long you had been on their radar uh, I don't I actually asked the, the investigator who was making the interview with me if like how long I had been a suspect because they had, they uh, released a warrant to take me into custody. And I just want to know from, from when on they, yeah, when they started uh, watching me and he said that I was on this kind of on the suspect list, but they needed to confirm that with visual uh, surveillance on location in Seffield. Maybe I read this in one of the English language reports, but did you have a sense that you were being followed prior to the arrest? Yes. Uh, the day before the skiathlon, in the evening, I went for a jog. And when I was running close, like right past my um, where I lived, just on the on the sidewalk, I was running and a guy was standing there and when he saw me coming towards him he would raise his phone like 
not way up here, but to his waist, facing me, and obviously taking a picture. And well, that was that was uh, not a professional way to to be <laughs> to be uh, doing that because then I wa- and then I ran past him and then ran ran back and he took another photo. So then I was sure that there's something. And you did that as a test, or did, as a test, or you were actually just on your normal route, went back. Uh, and then... I guess when I when I when I was when I came running back, then I was expecting him to do something weird, or I was looking forward to it. And then I actually told, because the next morning uh, for the skiathlon, the the big boss. Dr. Schmidt was there in the morning and I told him that, Hey, there's something going on. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting paranoid. Maybe it was just some random guy, but it seemed like there was somebody taking pictures of him. And Schmidt again calmed me down, said, Hey, no problem. No one's watching you. Like you're not racing good enough. So, there were signs. Was he was he in Seyfeld? Do you know how long Dr. Schmidt was in Seyfeld prior to this? I think he came only for the skiathlon and then left because, yeah, he was caught from Germany. Okay. And I know I've already asked, asked this question, but you, really, you, like, you have no idea roughly how many other cross-country athletes might be involved yeah no I hope I hope none but yeah have you reached out to you know folks that you were friends with and have competed against or how is that you know have you had an opportunity to sit you know make a statement towards, you know, to them, or I'm just wondering how that has evolved for you. Uh, I started obviously with my teammates. I talked to them. I've been calling or texting, um, or meeting in person. Some of the people in the Estonian ski community, some coaches, and uh, yeah, I've been in contact with Noah, but it's really hard to confront them and uh, of all the foreign skiers that I know i have I've had up until now a very good relationship with the u s ski team members i've uh I've obviously done a lot with Noah, but all the others were also very, well, thanks to my English, it was easy to communicate and the Americans are very outgoing and easy easy to talk to. So it's really hard, but I hope... uh, I will get to all of them at one point. You know, I let me 
let me look at one other a couple notes here. Um, okay, I, I, I'm just going over a couple of questions. That I know it. Um, here's here's this is a good question. So right here, this is uh, someone I work with. Her name's Rachel. What are the mis? Oh, here's what she wrote. What misconceptions do people have about athletes making the decision to dope? Oh, <laughs> oh I, I don't know. I don't know. 